page 1112, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. This is what we're in um, uh, until the end of November. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled round your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In Jesus' name, amen. Donald Trump <laughs> uh, has, taken, has taken truth or lack of truth to a whole new level. Um, it seems to me that that he's quite willing to lie publicly about everything and then stand up the following day and denounce what he said the day before and declare that this is the truth and that now it's, everything is going to be fine. Um, and he does it in front of the whole of the world's media and so far no one has impeached him. I, I don't understand. I'm, I'm sorry, maybe we're not supposed to be political in church, but but frankly... It's, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand how someone can stand there so clearly and blatantly and tell lie after lie after lie and everyone goes, yes, yeah, great. It's not great. It's lies. But we live in a culture where lies are the norm. We live in a culture where lies are normal where it's normal to put on your social feed all of the really, really good bits and put a colour filter on them so that you look fantastic. Frankly, none of us look that fantastic. I mean, if you do look fantastic, maybe you need like reverse filter to make yourself look normal. We live in this world where, you know, everything is tweaked and every, frankly, the whole lot is a fabrication. There's this conversation that goes on between Jesus and Pilate in John chapter 18. I'm going to make a reference to a whole load of passages. If you can, if you can follow them, great. But if you want the list afterwards to look them up, then please, please look them up. This is John 18 verse 38. Jesus is having a conversation with Pilate. And Pilate's response to Jesus is, what is truth? Folks, this climate that we live in, it's not new. It's not particular to this day and age. It's got a particular spin to it, yes. 
It's got a particular pace because of the way that social media works. But it's not new. Pilate says, what is truth? It seems to me that we live in a culture where truth has become personal. It's become a commodity which I can hold on to and it's personal. It's my truth. If it's true for me, then it must be true. But that's not what the Bible says. The the Bible says that that truth is not personal, but that the truth came in person. The truth is not personal, but that the truth came in person. The person of Jesus Christ. I think our current culture says that truth is flexible. I can make it what I want. I can bend it to be whatever I like. But that's not what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says is that truth is eternal. Truth came in person. And that person, the living Word, pre-existed. It's not flexible. It's eternal. And so we come to this one little line and we're going through the armour of God line by line. And, and folks, this is, this is, if you like, a, a passage that we can, in some senses, over-spiritualise. And, and what I hope to do tonight is, is to make it really practical so that we can be super-spiritual with it. I don't want to make this into a into a kind of super magic set of prayers that we can pray over ourselves and then it's like job done. Actually, there's some core stuff which if we don't get, if we don't understand, then it doesn't matter what we pray because we'll be living in a lie. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, Scripture is amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, have you have you got your head around amazing how amazing it is? I've been reading the Bible for forty-one years. Forty-one years. I'm forty-five years old, so I started quite small with my mum. Mum reading it to me. I was a lot like reading um, Book of Judges by myself. Thought uh, that would have been ridiculous. Um, the Bible's amazing. What I love about it is the fact that I'm forty-five years old and I can still discover new things about the Word of God. Isn't that isn't that fantastic? I discovered a new thing this after, just this afternoon. Let me share it. I think it's amazing. Um, you know, we, we know that the belt of truth kind of holds everything together, don't we? You know, without the belt of truth on, frankly, at, well, it's not quite true at the moment. My trousers will stay up completely by themselves at the moment. Uh, But in previous seasons in my life, without the belt on, the trousers would fall down. You know, some of us wish that the trousers would still kind of need a belt, but anyway. We need, we need the belt of truth to hold everything tightly in. Hold the trousers up and the shirt in. But there's another thing about the belt of truth that I discovered this afternoon, which I think is phenomenal. Have you ever done a long walk with a rucksack? Stick your hand up if you have. Simon, what's this thing called? The strap. Waist belt, hip strap. What does it do? It supports the rucksack. What you do is you have a big heavy pack and you have this belt and you 
tighten it up, and it transfers all the weight to your hips. The belt of truth supports the breastplate of righteousness. This is heavy. This is the thing that protects you. It's a gift from God, and you cannot carry it by yourself. Which is why you need the belt of truth to go on first, to hold the whole thing up. And with the belt of truth on, holding the breastplate of righteousness up, you're free to do battle with your arms. That's what I I read that. So I was like, "That's brilliant! How good is that?" It makes you stronger because you can lift more. You can lift the things that are a gift from God that you couldn't lift by yourself. It leaves your shoulders free to do the work with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. There is a problem in the Christian world today in the language of church. So often what happens is churches stop talking about Jesus. And I want us to talk about him more. They stop talking about Jesus and first of all, they use, they use this kind of big catch-all of, you know, they start talking about God. And like, well, which God? Actually, God's got a name. He came in person, the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father God is who we're talking about. And Jesus leads us to him. When the church has gone really wonky, it it adjusts the language, if you like, to the left again. And it no longer talks even about God, but starts talking about the divine. The divine wisdom of the universe. How we might connect with this amazing thing if ever he or she or whatever it is, is knowable. You know, that is not the language of the New Testament. The language of the New Testament is really clear. Go and read the the opening verses of John's Gospel. The divine wisdom, the logos, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as the message put it. He's got a name. His name is Jesus. The reason why some parts of the church don't want to talk about Jesus is because it gets you off the hook with sin. We need to talk about Jesus more. The language of the world creeps into the church and we, and we say of God that, that He is the God of unconditional love. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? He's the God of unconditional love. It's the only time I've ever written, well, I, I, I didn't send it. I, I wrote a really good letter to the Archbishop of Canterbury and I didn't send it because he used the word unconditional love in a foreword to something. And I, you know, I don't think it was his words, frankly. I think someone else had penned it and he'd just signed it off. These little words creep into our language. It's not true. He's not the God of unconditional love. 
He's the God who takes sin so seriously. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son on the cross to death so that you and I could have life in all its fullness. He loves us and because of that, his son died. It's not unconditional. It's a love that pays the price. You know, why might, why might a church, a Christian community want to start using words like this? To go away from Jesus, to go away from the truth. Because actually, what they want to do away with is they want to do away with the need for Jesus to die on the cross. They want to be in a place of picking and choosing what goes to the cross. But folks, we don't get to pick and choose. Talking about God like this, all it does is it relegates him to being a divine being who's really, really nice. And that's great because it means we can do what we like. You know, we can do what we like. He's given us freedom, but there are consequences to it. Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. There's this great little passage. I'm not going to preach for that much longer, and then we're going we're to pray. John chapter 8 and verse 32. You might want to find this one, because this one's, this one's really interesting. John chapter 8, verse 32. I made reference to it uh, recently. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, we, we, can't, we can't separate truth from Jesus. We can't separate the work of Jesus from who he is. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We get to know the truth, who is a person, and he sets us free. In another place, in John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus says this, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is a great measure of whether or not someone is on the side of truth. Are they willing to listen to Jesus or not? If they're not willing to listen to Jesus, they are not on the side of truth. I'm sorry to put it in kind of cold, hard places like this, but I, I, I think we kind of, we, we need to, we need to up our game on whether or not we're going to listen to the stuff of the world or not. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets into our heads and frankly, we, I think we just accept it and embrace it. But Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, truth, the belt of truth, holds everything together. It shows us who God is and it shows us who we are and it shows us the real nature of the world. I don't know whether you've ever played Jenga. 
you know, and you're aware that yours is the one as you kind of prod it out and the whole thing's probably going to come tumbling down. You know, there comes a point where you pick away at Christian truth. And there's only so many things you can take out of the equation before the whole thing comes tumbling down. Before you jettison the whole lot. These are spiritual things that are rooted in practical action. The things that we actually walk in. So what's the opposite of a truth? The opposite of a truth is not a half-truth. The opposite of a truth is a lie. And it's either the truth or it's a lie. It's not like a bit true. It's either the truth or it's a lie. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 puts it like this pretty starkly. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. I highlighted two big lies this morning at, in, our, in both our services and it seems right just to say them out loud again tonight. The two key lies of our age I think are the first one being I am who I say I am. I can self-define in whatever way I want. I am who I say I am. But that's not how Jesus sees it. Who does Jesus say you are? Well, if you want to follow him, it's not who you say anymore. You're a child of God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're part of the body of Christ. You've got a purpose. You're not who you say you are anymore. You have to trade those labels for what he says of you. That you're a child of God. That's the first lie. The second lie is, I can do what I want with who I want. I can do what I want with who I want. Folks, there are boundaries, whether our society wants to have them there or not. And there are consequences when we go beyond those boundaries for us and for others and for the whole of society. You see, the great I am has come in person. The person of Jesus Christ. So, my question for us this evening is, is not necessarily how are we going to hang on to the truth, although I want you to do that, but what do we do when we discover lies? And how do we discover them? I think the first way is, is we hold up the Word of God. Folks, if it's, if it goes against what's in the Word of God, and yes, we've got to do some interpretation and wrestling with what it says, but if it goes against what's, what's in the Word of God, then it's a lie. I think we have that as our foundation. And we also ask the Holy Spirit and uh, folks, if you want to believe something that's different from what's in the Word of God, my, my question is why? What are you hanging on to instead? What are you pr- prioritizing over and above God's Word? Because for as long as you want to hang on to that, you're not going to get a hold of who God is and who He says you are. What do we do when we've discovered a lie? 
Well, you know, this, this is not about saying sorry. You know, sorry, sorry's not, sorry's not how this transaction occurs. Uh, it's easy to think that it does. You know, we say sorry to God. Actually, we don't say sorry to God. I don't know whether you've ever done that. You know, just, just Google it and see if it's in the Bible. Come back to me if I've, if I've, if I've measured it wrong. But I don't think sorry is in the Bible in terms of how we approach God. I think what we do is we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness. And what forgiveness is, is saying, look, I, I have believed something that is not true and I want to trade that back. I want to exchange, I want to exchange the lie that I've held on to for your truth. For the truth of who you are and who you say I am. To exchange it back. It's repentance. To turn the other way. To change our minds. We ask for forgiveness. And in doing so, we have the mind of Christ. We have our minds renewed. What might be the lies that you are hanging on to at the moment? I think you you need to ask the Holy Spirit that, but let me give you a couple of suggestions. One is, one is I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's contending for this. Can't anybody else see how important this is? I'm the only one left. Oh, you're not. You're part of the body of Christ. You've got the King of Kings on your side. Or maybe the lie is that you believe that God is a hard master. You've got to work really hard for Him and earnestly for Him. And it might lead you to think, you know, grumpy thoughts, frankly, when everyone else is not joining in. Go and read Matthew 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share the master's happiness. Come and share the master's joy. He's not a hard master. He wants you to come and share his joy. Maybe it's a body image thing. As a man or as a woman... But the truth is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, we're gonna, we're gonna break bread together really simply. And as we do so, I, I invite you to, to come and exchange whatever lies you carry for the truth. Come and exchange those lies for the truth. And it might be that you want to just take a moment before you come up just to say, Holy Spirit, what, what lies have I believed? And come and trade them here. Come and trade them in this place for the truth of who God is and the truth of who you are. You know, this is what we need to stand in. This is an act of spiritual warfare where we say, I'm going to stand in the truth of who you are and who you say I am. And it might be that you've got hold of some big lies that you, you're not, you don't want to let go of. Folks, can I, can I encourage you, whether it makes mental sense to do it or not, just do it tonight. Because as you do it, what you'll discover is you begin to walk in freedom. You begin then to know the truth. 
but somehow we don't want to we don't want to let go of something until we know what we're taking hold of I don't think you're going to know what you're taking hold of until you've let go I think repentance asking for forgiveness comes first so let go tonight Father as we gather around the table and remember what your son Jesus did for us in bread and in wine come and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that we would live in the truth that we would walk with you Jesus who is the truth and in doing that we would know freedom and help us this evening to come and exchange the lies for the truth Lord Jesus we remember your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us come and take these things and help us to see you more clearly in Jesus name Amen. I have those that are going to help and also the band out as well to come and receive first. And then folks, as we, as we receive communion, can I, can I encourage you, the worship's going to, we'll, we'll kick off once we've received, but, um, can I, can I encourage you, let's, let's, don't just receive the bread and the wine this evening. Come and trade something in. Come and trade something in and, take hold again of of what Jesus says about you and what he says about himself. Amen.